Hello and welcome to Kyrinos Finsight, the podcast that explores some of the most pressing topics for financial services. Insights that help you navigate today and anticipate tomorrow. Hello and welcome to the Kyrinos Finsights podcast. Today my guest is Bob Warnock, who is Senior Client Advisor here at Kyrinos. Welcome, Bob, to the podcast. Before we dive into talking about fintech, can you tell us what your role at Kyrinos entails? Yeah, thanks, Rucker. Looking forward to the conversation. So my role at Kyrinos is mostly to advise banks and fintechs with more esoteric balance sheets and or segment that they're chasing uh, on how best to position themselves in the environment today as well as prepare for tomorrow. Well, you seem to be the right person for this conversation. There seems to be a bit of a shakeout going on in the fintech world. Can you tell us what's going on? Yeah, there is a shakeout that's going on. A new ripple or or flavor every every day, it seems like. But the bottom line is that a world that has gotten accustomed to low costs of capital and a, a continuous need to spend money on marketing, maybe without scientific approaches, to garner customer attention and customer clicks is finally hitting its pause button as as the environment around it has kind of shifted in terms of relative rates. Yeah, and some people talk about sort of the fintech winter. Is, is this a natural part of the process? That's an interesting question. I don't know if it's called a fintech winter, if you will, but it is a fintech year potentially for the, the pause on continuing to put capital to work in some of these strategies. Uh, I would say that every business segment has an eventual shakeout. It just is a question of when and what are the cyclical, non-cyclical factors that are impacting it. For fintech, though, it is definitely more of a, a macro event where the cost of capital has just increased, and there are too many, too many companies, too many flavors of the same offering that are chasing the small, uh, the same small pool of customers. Yeah, and it also feels like because of the previously low cost of capital that some of the organizations were just funding because they had access to it and maybe not thinking through it so much. Is, is that maybe one, one of the, the elements here? No, I don't think it's that they weren't thinking through it. It's more a function of their approach was targeted towards a very specific customer segment or affinity group. And in reality, only so many of those customers churn at a given point in time or or and or only a small portion of those customers actually have access to a growing wallet uh, for advancing that particular fintech's product shelf. Now, we've seen valuations come down quite significantly. What about sort of the, the investment side? Are fintechs having any trouble attracting new money? It's a really good question, and it largely depends on, on what segment you're in, where your differentiated points are, and were you a first mover or at least disrupting the first movers. Certain fintechs today are having no issue raising additional capital. With that said, though, we've seen several fintechs come out and have to announce larger down rounds to, to keep the lights on, if you will, or in some cases, just having to do a down round to, to grow or to evolve into their next iteration, but at a much smaller scale. There's really no consistent theme in terms of who's able to, to garner a winning hand, but it's clear that the first movers kind of continue to stay on top, especially those with either more simplified product shelves or who have captured a core segment that you know is very sticky, while others have probably 
try to expand a little bit beyond their reaches or don't have the most unified view in terms of what their next chapter should be. And just for those people that are not sort of very close to, to fintechs and sort of startups or a down round, and correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, but is when someone, when a fintech sort of raises money, but actually at a lower valuation. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And and so what I'll say right now is while 2022 was overall a lower fundraising year, 2023 seems to be uh, you know, at a similar pace to to 2022 so far, there are some continued winners, but there are increasingly losers as well. And, and it's not hard to find those examples in the public markets. How have higher rates been uh, affecting deposit-oriented fintechs? The higher rates are interesting because it now provides uh, brick-and-mortar institutions with an ability to quickly combat, i.e., they, you know, it's the, the rates that a fintech can offer are you know can only go so much higher. They are already a relative spread, and now most of the brick-and-mortar institutions are are pushing very close to similar, if not exceeding, those rates. What I will say though is the fintechs that are being forced into more elevated rate propositions than they were in a low rate environment. And keep in mind during the low rate environments, they were already offering, you know, one, 115 basis points or one to 1.15% on, on deposit accounts. They really focused in the low rate environment on building out a value proposition that resonated with a particular segment and or affinity group. What's interesting is that as we've moved into a higher rate environment, that value proposition still acts as a moat for them. So it's not really shaking or disrupting customers out in terms of what we would like to refer to as today money or transactional money. But what it is doing is it is shaking out those, those fintechs who have deposit product shelves or, or, or cash proxy offers that dabble into what you know I would refer to as someday or tomorrow money, your, your money for retirement and savings in, at large. Uh, now, those fintechs are experiencing some trouble because there are cash proxies out there, such as T-bills or high, or high yield money market funds that offer considerably higher rates than, than the deposits of either the brick and mortar institutions or the fintechs themselves. So simply put, if you have the value prop in place, it is acting as a decent moat, especially for that transactional today money, but it is starting to disrupt pretty violently that tomorrow and someday money, especially at those fintechs that don't have an extensive product shelf. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so obviously rate isn't everything. To have a moat, you need something else, another unique feature. And then as you were saying earlier, when rates were almost close to zero for, for traditional banks, it was much clearer that the fintechs were offering non-zero and actually quite substantially more. It is a much easier environment, especially for a digital native customer on the fintech side to to quickly move money in and out of the fintech or into other portions of what I will call the the digital banking or di digital financial services industry. So it's it's very incredible how easy it is to move money around in the in the financial or in the digital financial sphere. Unfortunately, launching a new value proposition in a, in a high rate environment is a difficult road to hoe because rate becomes the, the immediate lever. It, it's just a function of, of where and how. All, all that sort of frictionless process to get everyone signed up was great when money was going in, but it's also just as easy and frictionless to move the money out. Credit quality has held up fairly well for traditional banks. What about for fintech lenders? It depends on the end uh, line of business. So the credit quality by and large is, is healthy 
industry-wide uh, fintechs and traditional banks. What we are starting to see are some cracks in the foundation at commercial real estate, which, which does have some fintech avenues to participate, but also auto increasingly, which uh, does have a, a fairly considerable presence in, in the fintech scheme. What we are seeing is that, that banks post-global financial crisis have really done an excellent job of either being forced to or have selectively called specific buckets of credit risk that would otherwise be prohibited or uh, require incremental capital that just doesn't cross the hurdles in a lower rate environment. What that's done is it's pulled a lot of maybe riskier assets into what we will call fintechs as well as shadow banks or, or other private capital vehicles that are now starting to see the, the earliest signs of pain. Um, again, definitely looking at the commercial real estate world as well as the auto. Personal lending or unsecured personal loans is also starting to see some uptick in delinquencies, but the way that that has kind of been curtailed is that the the originations have really been pulled back as a result of capital not flowing into those sectors. So those firms, while not being able to originate enough or, or, or similar amounts that they did in prior years, uh, they are being more selective in terms of where that capital is getting deployed, which should offset some of that potential pain. The deposits that flowed into the banking system during the pandemic are, are virtually gone now. Does that mean fintechs will have to offer higher rates than traditional banks in order to attract deposits? And are there any of them that are feeling the deposit squeeze? Yeah, that's an interesting question, too. It can be taken in a number of different ways. The fintechs that did experience benefits of surge deposits, those that came from the extra unemployment benefits, etc. You're right, that money is getting spent. My point would be that those fintechs that were designed to support those today money clients, the people who have a continual spend, uh, they're continuing to swipe their debit card, they're out there in the market continually spending or, or you know, balancing, balancing their budget on a day-to-day -day basis, those fintech models are more dependent on that debit swipe than they are in terms of the actual balances that are accumulated on their balance sheet. Now, offering higher rates, yeah, you are seeing certain fintechs offer higher rates, but they're, you know, they're not looking at the same segment of customer. They're looking at segments of customers with, with ample or at least growing today and tomorrow money. Now, when you look on the other hand, there are some fintechs out there that are continuing to see deposit pain in terms of growth. Um, and they are trying to balance uh, what I would call margin um, margin optimization with retention, not not paying all the way up to some of their competitors, but trying to, to at least maintain that same, same balance sheet in terms of size. The issue is that that customer base that we see those players doing that with is more of that transactional customer where you should rely more on the debit interchange to, to, to build your revenue uh, as opposed to the, the deposit balances themselves. We're also seeing the, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau extending its fintech oversight. What do you think that's going to mean in the future? Early innings really difficult to kind of point to or to 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 give an indication of where it, it could be going what i would say though is that the early moves by the cfpb that they are focusing on creating a financial services model for retail individuals that is as low fee as possible 
That is across both banks and fintechs. I do believe that you will see the CFPB get a little more aggressive on fair lending as well as some of the product designs that leverage more of a, you know, a, a subscription fee or, or large one-time fees. What I'm trying to say is that the Consumer Financial Bureau has definitely been extending their oversight across all things retail, financial institution oriented. Fintechs are just a logical part of the ecosystem that will continue to see heavier scrutiny than they otherwise would have. And we'll see how that shakes out. Problem is that we have disincentivized a large portion of traditional financial institutions from providing full cart services to the average uh, retail customer. And as a result, these customers have been pooling up in some of the more neo bank offerings that really aren't banks, but you know they have a, a cash management product that a customer needs. So the CFPB has really kind of put themselves in an interesting position where they can't continue to disincentivize the desire to provide services for financial inclusion as the transaction or today money client. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out, right? Because obviously the, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is looking out for the consumer's best interest. And um, I think what we've seen with kind of overdraft fees coming down dramatically in the system Right. Then the question is kind of like, well, how do you pay for financial services? And we've seen some some uh, fintechs successfully charge sort of a membership fee or, or some sort of uh, program fee, which I would argue that that is actually more transparent. Right. To sort of say, hey, nothing in, in this world is free. There's no free lunches. So a free account has to be paid some way or another. Right. Either through interchange income or through some fee that you pay. So it'd be interesting to see how hard the CFPB is going to go into that. Yeah, that's definitely the way that I'm kind of conceptualizing the world too, Records, It's just really difficult to understand where the end game here is. Like you can only push the, this pool of consumers who desire services, either through opt-in or otherwise, so far before they're, they're left without a home. Another way to even look at this is like the CFPB is even kind of focusing with the other regulatory bodies on, on crypto now, which is interesting because... The crypto organizations and the crypto fintechs were, were hiding, uh, well, hiding might not be the right word, partnering with the banking ecosystem. But the customers that were utilizing it really thought that they were in a, in a free wallet or a, a no fee by them uh, product offering that eventually has come home to roost when it turns out that the, the systems were not as safe or as structured as everybody thought. But there really was no rule overseeing them because... They weren't really part of the ecosystem yet. They weren't beholden to Fed, FDIC, OCC, or even CFPB oversight. With with some public blowups, though, in terms of those those free financial service offerings, I think that we're going to see even further oversight kind of stretch out of banking into other fintechs. Going back to my original statement. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and to to add on to that point, right? Especially with crypto, people thinking that it was free. This is, this is now where it actually shows you what an FDIC insurance is actually good for, right? And that it is that insurance. And usually when you have car insurance or homeowner's insurance, you pay a premium for that, right? Like it can't just come out of nowhere. It needs to be paid for in some shape or form. So yeah, very, very exactly. good. Exactly. And, the, and the customers desire that. So it shouldn't just be a free offering. Do you think we will see mergers within the fintech industry, either fintechs joining forces or being acquired by financial institutions, or will we see some just go out of business? What are your 
thoughts on that? Great question. The chessboard there is is very fluid. The question there is, what is the value of, of moving into purchasing some of these fintechs? On the other side of that coin, you are starting to see some of the fintechs explore mergers themselves. So even if there are mergers, they will be very, what I will call glove in hand or extremely similar offerings. You, I don't know if we will see banks buy any of the, the larger fintechs that we see out there running around. By and large, I think that the largest banks are a little once bitten, twice removed on the fintech landscape. You'll probably see them continuing to buy more technologies as opposed to account or wealth management type services. Of course, there's a, there's a wide range of, of offerings out there in, in fintech, right? So yeah, maybe the more sort of operational ones that, that provide just one trick that the traditional financial institution is missing, that might that might actually happen there. The, the other thing that I've always noticed as well is that fintechs are usually really good. They start off solving one use case really well, right? And they, they do that better than anyone else. But then at some point, they sort of run out of runway, right? And it's kind of like, okay... Maybe maybe we need to add something, and that's usually not what they're really good at. So maybe, maybe are you, could you see any sort of single use case fintechs maybe banding together to sort of say, hey, if we put these three things together, if we put remittance and early pay and financial management together, that might actually become a new proposition. Did you, would you ever see a world where that would happen? You know, I, I don't. Uh, we've spent so much time delaminating the wallet and that's how we have such a, a plethora of fintechs. It's gone more segment-based versus product-based. Now, your point might make sense if, well, look, we have a product in a segment, but you know that segment desires X and, and Y additional products. The issue is that you know when you go out looking for the fintech or the company that designed that complementary offer, it's, it's generally targeted towards a different segment. So you run the risk of, uh, of alienating one of the two company segments or, or merging together a culture that has a different view of how to integrate the, the offerings. If anything, they're going to find themselves at home in, in larger financial institutions as more of a, as, a, as a capability enhancement or capability addition. Because at the end of the day, that sample size of customers, unfortunately, just doesn't move the needle for a larger financial institution. It's all about what the capability is today and how it can be modified to supply the service to their larger customer base at whole. Okay, so no no hodgepodge put together fintechs, maybe better home at an established financial institution that already has a wider offering. That that makes sense to me. Now, what does it take in fintech to win in this environment? A year ago, I would have told you a completely different story. Low rate environment, it takes a, a, an amazing and distinctive value proposition with a clear understanding of what the hurdle rate in terms of customer additions is needed to win. And then continuing to service that customer in a way that is you know, revenue and bottom line enhancing so you can eventually expand your product shelf. Today, in a higher rate environment, it's all about not losing your, your, your existing customer base. While most of the, the traditional banking institutions are, are more concerned with balance retention today as opposed to margin, I think fintechs kind of have to do both. They have to balance the line between not destroying the economics that they have already fought so hard to protect in, in very select circumstances, but they also have to figure out a way to retain those customers that they fought so hard for in a low rate environment, but don't have the product shelf in many cases to grow with that customer base. So they have a really difficult 
road ahead of them, the longer we stay in a more elevated rate environment, especially if they have not solved first the incremental bottom line growth, or at least revenue stabilization of each customer. And then most importantly, what is that next chapter? It needs to happen soon. Otherwise, their customer base runs the risk of outgrowing their existing capabilities and then attriting. Thank you for that answer. Now, finally, we're asking each guest, what is a term, acronym, or lingo that you would either like to retire or redefine? What would that be for you, Bob? You know, I've been in this industry for a long time and have seen the entire alphabet soup, both uh, that has been put on my plate in terms of just learning the industry, but also from a regulatory standpoint. But when I when I look at the world today, I'll, I'll, I'll have to steal yours, Rutger. I've heard you complain about it, but in terms of fintech, it is funny. Like there is no true fintech. Most of the times, most of these institutions are fins without extremely differentiating tech. You know, they are techless fins. On the other hand, there are a lot of technology companies that claim that they are financial services or, or fintechs that really are just technology platforms that don't do anything for financial services other than enable certain pipes. I would really like that to, to, to break down a little bit and, you know, at least at least figure out uh, how to get more granular instead of just describing everybody's fintech. But then you run into the problem of BAS, LAS, SAS, uh, you know, banking as a service, lending as a service, software as a service. I don't think that's doing us any more justice. It might be getting a little more granular, but you know, fintech, the umbrella has to figure out a way to evolve, to explain, or to better explain all of the individual components within it. Yeah, in, in this technology-driven world, it, we should almost sort of take the opposite of that and sort of say, if you are not, if you're still in finance and you're not using tech, you should be a non-fintech. It's just like digital banking these days. It's kind of it's just banking. It's not digital banking anymore. Exactly. But yeah, maybe maybe that's how we need to progress the term. Now we ask our our um, guest for a FinSight fact. What is yours, uh, Bob? Yeah, interesting FinSight fact from me today is I've read a lot lately, but I would say when you're looking at personal loan originations. Uh, across all of the publicly available companies and then taking a little bit of insight into that, you can already see that personal loan originations, absent credit cards, are down anywhere between high teens to almost 70% year over year. And where are those customers receiving new services or new credit extension if we have basically cut off you know, a majority of their access to, to traditional you know, financial institutions in the, in the retail segment. That's concerning to me. I think one of the things that we're trying to do as an institution is, is help develop a value proposition for those interested to service those customers. But when we see, when we see those, those significant drops in terms of overall origination while we continue to see debt levels increase, there is something that is concerning there for me. And I, I think as an industry as a whole, we need to take notice. That is a great way to end the podcast today. Thank you again, Bob, for joining us today. As always, thank you to the Kiranos Finsights team. Robin Seidel is our Director of Thought Leadership. Editing and production by our senior designer, Adrian Cohen. Project management by our marketing communications manager, Megan Brazette. Music is by Vision Studios. I'm your host, Rutger Van Fassen. You can find more insights at kuranos.com. Please subscribe and like wherever you listen to podcasts.